podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Buzz here on Anfield Index and Anfield Index Pro. I'm Trev Denny. I am, as usual, here in my field in beautiful rural Ireland. And you may be wondering, what the hell is happening? Buzz is happening very regular. Is there something wrong with the lads? Well, we have made a decision, uh, Dave and I, to do these shows on a regular basis. Uh, Hopefully you will be enjoying them and we will continue to do them if you do. So... As ever, I should introduce the main man himself, Dave Hendrick. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to talking about this one because it was a little bit different. Yes, it was a little bit different. We decided, folks, that this would be a good way to go. We're going to carry on our True Detective season spoiler specials, and they are spoiler-tastic. So don't be watching the show uh, uh, after we tell you about it, uh, unless some people like that. I, I, you know what, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but we will be telling you about the show. Uh, as for this one, which is about Saltburn, the very recent, very, very, very controversial film, uh, we will tell you, yeah, lots of, there will be plot details revealed. So maybe go and watch the film first so you can understand what the hell we're chatting about after the event. But we'll try not to be as spoiler heavy with this one because there will be a lot of you who will not have encountered the movie uh, because it is kind of one of those ones that's hard to get your paws on if you don't have the correct streaming or whatever. So let's get cracking into Saltburn. And to set it up, Dave, it is... um, a very, very interesting film, which has absolutely split opinion in a very dramatic fashion. I spoke briefly on the last show, the very first of the True Detective ones, about the culture wars and about how people are coming into these movies uh, with their own opinions. And it was remarkable. I watched, uh, I read several reviews. I think I read about 10 reviews of this um, in preparation for our show here. And I think were written by women and they were kind of uniformly positive uh, and the two ones that were written by men were not. Uh, I don't know what that says but it's quite interesting uh, in 2024 where we're all supposed to be split along lines of gender and race and religion and all sorts of colours and creeds and I think you and I skate happily over all of that nonsense with a disdainful glance but it is interesting to see how it has weighed in terms of the reception of the film. Uh, For me uh, I was very wary because of what I had heard. And that's where I want to start. With the stories that you had heard about Barry getting his chopper out and all sorts of other things, what was your level of anticipation? We had decided we were going to do this movie purely because it is contemporary and current and controversial. But I will say to you, honestly, I was not necessarily looking forward to it. No, I'm exactly the same. And and when we were talking about you know, doing more buzz and, and doing an episode by episode of True Detective. We also said, well, you know, we should try and get some movie pods done as well and, and make them more frequent and have the, the split of, of television and film. And we were looking for a, a film to watch. And I just said to you, well, Saltburn is the one that people are talking about. So maybe we should do that. And again, like you, I was quite hesitant. And I had read, before the film, I'd read one or two reviews before watching it. And to be totally honest, Trev, I was, I was almost prepared not to like it. Yeah. Yeah. Because of, because of what people were saying. And I have to admit, I, I, I liked it. I thought it was mental. And in retrospect, I actually think I like it even more because I love that it's upset all the right people. (laughs) <laughs> this is the thing. This is the thing. It has upset all the very worst people are bent right out of shape, you know, <laughs> which is which is something to, I think, uh, rejoice in. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, Dave, I think and tell me if I'm completely wrong here. You may find yourself in a week's time having a completely different opinion about this film. My my opinion of it has changed. I've I was high in it, then I was kind of low in it. I, I could see the flaws in it, and then they were pointed out to me in reviews, and I could double down. And then I said, "No, I'll fight against that." It's an ever changing opinion I have in this film as it is currently. I haven't settled yet. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair because there, it, like, it it is kind of an off kilter film. There is. There's obvious flaws. Flaws might be the wrong word, but there's obviously there's there's parts of it that are 
questionable. But one thing I don't think anyone can question is the strength of the performances in the film. Uh, obviously, that noted English actor, Barry Keoghan, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the cover star of, of British BQ or whatever it's called, or British GQ's uh, first first episode. Um, he, he, I think, gives an absolute tour de force in this film. I think he is absolutely phenomenal. And I first saw him in Between the Canals, which is a low-budget but good Irish film made the early 2010s. And obviously then he's in Stalker, he's in King of the Travellers, and what he becomes known for is he becomes known for love-hate. Yeah. And he plays a little toe rag. And if somebody had told me, as I was watching that little toe rag, that this guy in a decade is going to have one Academy Award nomination under his belt and likely a second, I would have said they were absolutely mental. But I think he has become one of the best actors out there. I I think he's absolutely brilliant. And what I love about him is he plays, there's a weirdness to how he acts that he puts into his characters. And there's a pain that he's had in his own life. If you want to read his backstory, it's worthwhile doing that comes through in the way he acts and the way he presents the character he's portraying. And I I really like watching him do his work. And I think he's brilliant in this. I genuinely do. And I think he leads the film fantastically. Yeah, you're right. And and to get a little bit of, of, of early uh, uh, fanboying out of the way about Barry from myself as well. Like that, there's an there is an authenticity about the way that he goes about his business. You're absolutely right, and I'll be honest. Like I do remember him as the little scrub from um, from uh, the TV series that all of us liked about Irish gangsters that you mentioned. But like it's only in recent years where you saw him. Uh, there's, a, there's a really interesting movie that that again split a lot of people, which is the uh, killing of a sacred deer, mm. and he's he's really really good in that, even though. It's a disturbing part that he plays. Dunkirk, it's a bit more sort of uh, by the book in terms of of, of uh, it's not quite as 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 jarring. He's obviously in the Batman from twenty twenty two. You and I spoke about him in Banshees and how he almost, to be fair, almost stole the show away from two incredible performers who were the leads. Uh, and he does have this ability to. Uh, Bring something very unusual, and you're right, he absolutely holds your, your attention as the central focus, absolutely the central focus of this film. It doesn't matter that there are much more um, classically beautiful people floating around in his uh, 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 sort of um, uh, environment all the way through the film. It's him you can't stop watching, and it is worth mentioning that this guy grew up in Summerhill in Dublin. Mm-hmm. It is worth mentioning that you know, he had his his mom. I think had drug addiction problems. That she died when he was only a, a young full of eleven or twelve. Uh, that you know, he did have foster care in his background. I think, I think it was. I think I heard like twelve or thirteen yeah, foster homes. Yeah. Um, and and eventually raised by granny and auntie and sister and all sorts. And, you know, again, another story I, I, I heard, I don't know, did I read it on the Wikipedia or somewhere? There's a little quote from saying that he barely could afford the bus fare to go to the acting school that he was attending. Now, it's not to do the whole, ah, uh, bless his little cotton socks. It's more to say that is a proper story of a fella who had nothing, who had no advantages in the world by by dint of sheer talent making it and finding himself the focus of this incredibly controversial, much-watched movie by a lady called Emerald Fennel. And that's where we should start, right? Because I'll be honest, you've said something similar. I thought when I heard the name, it was it, it meant nothing to me because although I had seen her in The Danish Girl, I had seen her in Call the Midwife, uh, which my missus loves. I'd seen her in The Crown as Camilla. Uh, um, I was not aware of her as a writer or a director. And 2020's Promising Young Woman, which she won an Academy Award for her screenplay, 
passed me by entirely. I had literally never even heard of it until we decided to do this. And I said, Emerald Fennel, that's a very interesting name. There must be some Irish in her background. Went to go look it up and said, oh, it's this girl who's been in so many things as an actress that I do actually recognize her face. But I had no concept of her as a writer or director. There was a time that wouldn't have happened, Dave, where I was very much back in my nerd phase where nothing passed me by. I was across all the music press, across all the film press. Uh, These days, I don't have time in my life for that stuff. There's other things that uh, I'm obsessing more about. Had you any familiarity with this lady before your uh, exposure to her in this? No, like you, it was I, I couldn't connect the name and the face. I, I knew her face from from The Crown. Um, I, I haven't watched Call the Midwife. My missus also loves that show, but I haven't watched it. Um, so I'm sure I'm sure Wendy knew her would know her to see, but maybe again might not connect the name. But once I once I saw a picture of her, I was like, oh, that's Camilla from The Crown. And as I look, I see writing credits. For Killing Eve, which was obviously a big show on its own right, yeah. she wrote, wrote eight episodes of that, and like you said, uh, has already for her debut film won an Academy Award, which you know can't be too many people that can say that that she that they won an Academy Award for their first screenplay, which again not only a writer but she also produced and directed it as she did with this. So you're looking at an incredibly talented young individual, uh, 38 years of age, so younger than both of us, and someone that I think we can assume is going to be a major player moving forward. And I do note that her mother's name is her mother's maiden name was Louise McGregor. So I, I think we can assume that there's definitely uh, an Irish connection there. Yeah. And she just seems to be connected to all the right people. I mean, Greta Gerwig's one of these like sort of it people in Hollywood very much, you know, the, uh, one of the the more lauded um, female figures at the moment. And she, of course, is responsible for Barbie. And she has a brief role, Fennel, in that as well. So she just seems to be immensely well connected. One of those people who, I don't know, maybe she has, you know, I don't know her background as well as I've, I've, uh, I've, I've read about Kyogen's. Maybe uh, she did come up uh, in a way that uh, wasn't necessarily entitled, but she just seems to have all the right connections uh, mm. at, a, at, at that kind of really high uh, uh, Hollywood level. Uh, as you say, not only to get the award, the Academy Award, for, but I think she actually got a nod for Best Director for Promising Young Woman as well. And it, it, that sounds, in all I've read about it, and I have read about a lot about it since, it sounds that, again, it was very controversial with revenge themes and, the you know, the the idea of the, 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 the central to it, the violence and the rape and all the rest of it. And it just seems as if it was, as well, another button-pushing movie. And the thing, I think, that links them is they had... Um, at least one cast member, which was uh, which was uh, 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 common in both, uh, in the shape of Kerry Mulligan. I think she mm. was the star of of Promising Young Woman, which I again, for the record, have not seen. But she has a, a very interesting little turn here, which is it's just pure comedy. That's all, all she's there for is to make faces and 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 be, and be funny and deliver lines in a kind of witty, dry way, and 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 be the butt of the joke actually for most of it. Um, so I, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm anxious not to get into a scene by scene with you like with mm. the True Detective. But there are so many things that I want to talk about. Let's just set it up first. The basic premise, Oliver Quick is this. Now, I read a review and it should, they should know better. I think it was Vulture or someone like that. He's described as a working class guy. When we get to find out where Oliver's actually from, he could not be more middle class. It's actually ridiculous, a ridiculous take on it. He's very, very painfully middle class. And that's the whole point of the freaking story is that he is not working class. But anyway, as we go on, we discover he's passing himself off as a working class lad from Merseyside. Um, let's take a quick pause there. What did you think of the accent? It was the one thing I'd probably ding him on because it was yeah. a little bit inconsistent when he hit it and he hit the tones of it. I thought it was strong. And then there were times, but I, I did wonder, <clears throat> was he in character toning the accent down to fit into his new surroundings? 
Yeah, because yeah. obviously the film takes place at Oxford, where he is from the outside looking in on high society. He is looking at this group of people of his own age, and he is wondering, how do I become one of them? How do I get my in? And I do wonder if maybe, because from from the beginning of the film, the, the, the accent does sort of taper. So I do think maybe that was him in character. Um, and, you know, as I, I, as I say it, I, I think that probably is, is more the case, that that's why the accent was a little bit inconsistent, that he was trying to fit in more. Because, again, we're talking about high society, we're talking about a snobbish approach from the people he's trying to fit in with. And he's from Merseyside. And the North, always going to be looked down on by those from the South. The city of Liverpool and its surrounds always going to be looked down on because of that working class heartbeat of the city. So I I, I feel like there was moments in it where the accent was really good. And I was actually surprised how well he was able to do it because the Scouse accent, we can all do a Scouse accent. It's just that the majority of them are not very good. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I I was inclined to cut him a little bit of slack as well. I heard some people just go at it as a real failing and someone saying that, you know, I, again, these are people I don't know. Sometimes I think critics are there uh, and they feel they have to justify their existence by finding fault um, to, to a ridiculous extent at times. I was inclined to think like you were, that it was a sort of a, an effort almost to shrug it off at times, uh, a conscious effort. And I was willing to give him the benefit of that. Certainly that works for the character regardless, but it didn't really matter because at any one time, <laughs> the the cadence and the, 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 the tone of his voice always jars with those around him who are that soft-spoken, very upper-crust English accent all the way through, especially all the scenes in Saltburn where you've got this outrageously wealthy family. And you're right, you know, I think when he walks into that living room for the first time, they are having a conversation just before he gets in there, uh, especially the two female characters, uh, the two like uh, the two uh, older characters, Rosamund Pike's Elspeth and Kerry Mulligan's Pamela, and they're they are basically saying Liverpool. Where's Liverpool? Have you ever been to Liverpool? No, yeah. I've never been. And again, it's replaying really up the fact that the North is like a different realm to these people they don't quite get we, it we wouldn't know where that is <laughs> exactly because it's beneath us so why would oh i think it's i think it's near watford one of them said <laughs> no <laughs> no it just really isn't <laughs> exactly that's that's uh that and a few of the people so you've got the the matriarch is rosamund pikes elspeth i think she has the best lines and the best delivery i think she may well be my favorite performer apart from keoghan in it uh richard e grant does a really good um turn as a kind of a batty daft and occasionally vicious uh patriarch uh you've got jacob elordi playing felix uh and he is the object of basically everyone's desire it appears he's an absurdly good looking young man he's played that role apparently in several different things again i will admit i was not familiar with him or his work before this it just didn't happen to be stuff that i had watched uh Alison Oliver plays Venetia, his sister, and again, she's uh, very beautiful in that kind of posh way and very uh, tortured in that only very rich girl's way. And then the other member who's knocking about, as well as Kerry Mulligan's uh, Pamela, is Archie Medeque's Farley, who is a cousin, uh, who uh, is without doubt the bitchiest and most sarcastic and acerbic of all the characters. And very much he appears to be, bless his little cotton socks, the most um, Machiavellian and cunning. Uh, But little does he know, Dave. Little does he know. And as we find out, as his story develops, he's he's poor. (laughs) He has no money. He has a name. He has a family of of wealth, 
but he himself and his mother, as we find out, do not have any money. And he's basically their cap in hand. And as soon as Barry Keoghan learns of this, now he has the upper hand, not just in terms of he's grown closer to Felix, but also I'm, you know, because he's portraying himself as working class. I might be poor, but I'm not here on the beg. You're here on the beg, and that makes me better than you. And that yeah. is something he can then hold over, um, hold over fairly. I will say Alison Oliver, another Irish actress um, from Cork. And, you know, we, we don't produce many, but those we produce, we will support to the end of the earth. So I thought she was excellent. But I have to say, Trev, for me, one of the people that really stole the show was Paul Reese's Duncan the Butler. Yeah. I just think he was absolutely brilliant. And, and I, I, I've watched, um, before I watched The Crown, I actually watched um, Downton Abbey. And the butler in it is one of my favourite characters. And I, I love the, the the way butlers present themselves as this, you know, above the common man type of thing when in truth you're you know you're little more than a servant you may have risen to a position of power but you are little more than a servant and i I just think duncan paul reese he's a he's an excellent actor um and he's been around a long time he's done a lot of different things and he's done a lot of like one of the things he did was he did hellraiser the most one of the more recent hellraiser films um which i remember seeing him in he's done tons of tv work but I think he's absolutely fantastic in this, in that role. Yeah, nails that sort of incredibly intimidating uh, thing that you you mentioned that you see in these uh, butlers in these shows where you've got the the upstairs downstairs divide. Uh, yeah, he, he really does nail it. And actually, uh, you're right. A word f- for Alison Oliver, lest I forget later on. I did want to mention it. And it's the kind of thing that could get lost in the mix. I think the little uh, tirade she goes on against Kyogen's Oliver while she's in the bath. I think that's the best piece of acting in the film by a country mile. Mm. I think it's absolutely riveting. And she absolutely just pins him with the ferocity of it, with the the harshness of it, with the honesty of it. It's actually a real tour de force moment in terms of the acting. And probably, I would say, the single best piece of acting in the film, um, apart, obviously, from Barry's Langer, which we'll come uh, to uh, later on. <laughs> and worth, <laughs> worth noting as well, like she's a very inexperienced actress. Before this, she did Conversation with Friends, the TV show, and Best Interest, another TV show. That's all she's done prior to this. This is only her third ever role. And for her to carry off that role the way she did and to show the strength of performance she did, I think is is very, very promising for her future. Now, obviously, I want to talk to you about the controversial bits and pieces, and we'll get to those. But one thing that I found, I, I don't, I think it might have been, I'm, not, I'm going to give credit where it's due to Fennel. I'm sure she intended everything that we see and the film does look lovely but I was wondering what did you make of this early part of the film where Kyogen's Ollie Quick is trying to get uh, the attention of and maintain the attention of uh, Elordi's Felix Catton. Felix is like this almost ethereal being floating through life Mm. desired by all and it's not it's patently obvious it's not just because he's a very good looking lad it's because he has a title and money and the land and the estate and all the rest of it what did you make of the portrayal of the university because i'm not i thought it was very negative in terms of how the vast majority we, we there's a scene set in the the sort of dinner hall and they they all just come off as wankers and mm. Ollie and this other nerd played by Ewan Mitchell are the only people who are different and I don't know it, it's not that it rubbed me the wrong way but I come my own background is in sort of Ireland's equivalent in terms of I, I spent five years uh, all told in TCD and I came across the upper echelons of Irish society there but you know, an awful lot of them were just lovely, you know what yeah. I mean? And I wonder, is 
as I as I reflect on the film, is Felix actually just quite sound in his own way? You know, I mean, I, I just I, I thought it was a very negative portrayal of the whole scene. I, I maybe I, maybe I'm misinterpreting that. No, I, I think you're right. I think, but I think my my feeling on it when when we get sort of the reveal at the end, my feeling on it was. Ollie Quick is a very ambitious social climber who specifically targeted a specific group. So that's the group we were showed. There are other films that tap into that same kind of group of of people, like the Riot Club. Um, So it kind of lends to that as well. Like these people that are above everybody else and they live in their own little bubble. And how do you penetrate that bubble and become one of them or become adjacent to them and that was because the same as you watching the film as it was going i was thinking i i know a couple of people that went to oxford um including christian walsh who you know has been in the liverpool sphere for years and he's not a wanker so (laughs) clearly they're not all like that down there and um that was kind of my thing was like, yeah, this, I, I I don't quite like the way she's just painting them all with one brush. But then at the end, when we get the reveal, my thought press process on a change. And I was like, okay, maybe that's what we were seeing. Maybe that's part of the explanation of who he is, that he has specifically targeted that group of people, that class of people, that, mindset of people that that's what he wants to be that because as we find out he is upper middle class probably based on the house and and all yeah. the rest yeah yeah and you know look in in every walk of life people who are working class would like to be middle class people who are middle class would like to be upper middle class and people who are upper class probably do want to be that you know that upper class, they probably, everybody always wants to do better. Everybody's always striving to go one step above maybe what our parents achieved because they've kind of given you that, look, we we raised ourselves from middle class to here, from working class to here, whatever the case may be. And maybe that's what his whole thing is, that he, having been brought up in, a, you know, a nice family home and whatever, he wanted to go above and beyond he felt maybe he was above his own family which which to be fair when we see his interaction with his family when we learn about his lie it does feel like he kind of he he says the line i'm not sure i'll ever go back there yeah or i'm not sure i'll ever go there again which to me was as i again was thinking about it afterwards like he was dropping hints the whole way through I don't want to be upper middle class. I want to be upper class. I want to be high society. And then we get the reveal of of what, what his whole plan of action was. That's where I kind of land on it. Now, as we're watching the film, and again, not to give away too much, we're thinking to tie in what you're saying there, Ollie seems to have sociopathic tendencies by the end of it. And again, like I said, I mean, if you're listening to this, I'm going to assume that you don't mind hearing little bits and bits given away. But by the end of it, we become painfully aware that it's actually more psychopathic tendencies mm. that Ollie has uh, and that he has that sort of psychopathy and that uh, capacity to ingratiate himself with people that you hear the psychopaths can do and make themselves um, uh, likable and be incredibly um, apparently empathetic uh, and endear themselves to people uh, all with a purpose behind the dead cold eyes. And that's, you know, a very interesting way that we can approach looking at some of those more controversial moments. I think it ties very much into them. Just before that, one other thing in terms of the culture of the movie. It has a very uh, lovely look to it. It's a very pretty movie to look at. And of course, the estate itself, uh, the Saltburn estate, where they actually filmed, there's no sound stages here in this movie. It's all actually in the location. And it's 
just an absurdly gorgeous place. And, yeah. you know, our country, Dave, is littered with these big old sprawling uh, 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 houses, uh, not quite on the level as the ones that are sprawled across England. But, you know, we are familiar with this concept of the big old uh, sprawling pad and the people who had just infinity money. I mean, and as a result, did some lovely things. I mean, I think you and I are very much in the same page. I, I, I stop at the point of being grateful, <laughs> but there are still, there are like places left with these wonderful 200-year-old greenhouses that you can go and visit and look at all these wonderful yeah. concepts that were being carried out by lads, like I said, that have infinity money. Now what's left around our country tends to be uh, posh lads who have a lovely uh, tweed jacket that cost about £500 back in 1982, but it's it's been patched up about eight times. They're driving a gorgeous Range Rover from 2004, which has definitely been dying for the last 10 years. They have the... Out, outward appearance of, of poshness. They still have the big old pile, but by God, does the roof need fixing. These yeah. guys, this family, are absurdly wealthy. They're obnoxiously wealthy. At one point, they decide on a whim to throw Ollie a uh, birthday party, and it's like, well, what do we think? About 100, 200 people? They usually end up about 200, don't they, darling? And this is obviously a thing they do. It's just, it's, 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 it's wealth on a level that none of us can even imagine uh, and I, I think that's I think you're right I think that's the minute he understands that there's a, a, an avenue for him to get there yeah. that's what his entire the entirety of his focus is on now like I said one more just uh, sideways issue in a way the soundtrack to this really locates it when it's set which is 2006 and I think it really does evoke the time. Now, I, I have a personal take on this because for me, that was the last time when I was aware of whatever was contemporary and actually cool contemporary as opposed to, you know, what's in the charts necessarily. Although it was still in 2006, there was still that crossover between what was in the charts. People still sort of watched Top of the Pops and stuff like that. But the music really, really, really anchors it in the time. The fashion, which I know Fennel is very interested in, all of the people are making these very obvious fashion choices from that time as well. Now, like I said, for me, that represents, I think, the last time I really gave a shit about contemporary culture. Uh, I, 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 there was nothing new that came out musically. And I'd I'd been a bit of a, a wanker. I would have been interested in more sort of indie stuff and off grid stuff, but nothing came out that I wasn't aware of. And I did keep an eye on what people were wearing, and I wanted. So it, like I was kind of in my what was that? It was probably in my early thirties, that kind of time. That was the last time I really gave a shit about what was contemporary, what was current, and it happens to coincide with this period. So I hear MGMT and I went, oh, I remember when I was the only one who had that album that I knew, uh, you know, and uh, you hear Mr. Brightside, which is the the song of that era. Uh, Arcade Fire are there, Block Party are there, Girls Frickin' Aloud are there yeah. on the soundtrack. And it all locates it in that time. Now, you know, it's also there. And this is where reviews can ruin your life. Apparently, where they're doing the karaoke scene and one of the older toffs gets up and does Low by Flo Rida. That was from 2007. And your man was all bent out of shape. That wasn't accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, swings around of us. But my question, long-winded one is, what did you think in terms of the representation of that era? Did it resonate with you in terms of your memories of that time? Were you as interested in the culture of the time at the time as I was? Yeah, because at this point, like 2006, I'm 24. Yeah. So I'm, I've really, you know, I always say you're a moron really until you're about 21, 22. You, you are still a child. And then you start to form who you're going to be. Now, I wasn't quite as cantankerous or truculent as I am now. But <laughs> I, I was really finding who I was. And again, like you would have been very aware of, <clears throat> what music was popular, what what clothes were popular, et cetera, et cetera. So it was very easy to to feel like you were back in that period of time. And 
again, like you, so, some of the bands that you mentioned, like MGMT, like, and you, you kind of remember, God, they were massive for a brief spell. I wonder what they're doing now. And what it had me doing was was going on Spotify afterwards and, you know, going through their discography, the same with Block Party, because, again, there was a raft of bands, Arcade Fire, as you mentioned, that came out around that time. And they were they blew up massively. And obviously most of them haven't sustained it. Um, but Mr. Brightside, like, y- you can... You hear that song and there's there's five memories that instantly pop back into your head when you were doing something or you were somewhere with certain people or whatever, when that song was on or whatever. And so for that, like, there was... It's like a nice nostalgic feel that you get from it. So I, I think she nailed it. I really do. Yeah. And I also think if we think about the timeline of the film, yes, it starts in 2006, but isn't there a chance that by the time we get to that point where they've been through their first year at Oxford, it would be 2007. So isn't there a chance that that song would have come out? So again, isn't there a chance that that critic has just had himself a big old public tantrum? When there is a possibility that that song would have been in the charts at that point. Yeah, I, I thought that as well. And then I said, I'll just check, right? But apparently it came out in November 2007. Oh, so so a you missed out by a couple of months. So so, so he gets to be all uh, indignant and correct. And I think his point was, if you're going to the extent that she does, the director does go, to be culturally representative of the time, down to, you know... Um, uh, uh, our, our, our characters' dress sense and the music that's playing in the background, then surely you get that right. But like I say, I mean, God Almighty, it, it's only when you start reading movie reviews that you realise an awful lot of film and music journals are te- they're a terrible set of lads. Do you know what I mean? Uh, just it, it, there's some of the most can just petty nonsense that you'll ever read will be in music and film reviews. It's a good, it's a good reminder to pick a few people who are good. And I, I will say right now, in case they're listening, uh, that uh, Chris and the lads over at Empire do a super job. Mm-hmm. I genuinely, Chris Hewitt is a really, really good podcaster and writer. And the Empire podcast has been a staple of mine for years and they just take the job very seriously uh, and have a wonderful sense of humor with it. And you really notice that when you come up against some of these other, I don't know what they are, but they're agenda driven or they're, 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 they have some issue, some childhood issue that they're working through. Uh, and you have to wear it as you're reading a, a movie review, Dave. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it is just. It is a bit strange that certain people, like it's almost as if they've read a prior review that's piqued something that they're against. Maybe yeah. it's maybe it's waving willies around and dancing, <laughs> and they've decided that because they know that's coming, they don't like this film. Yeah, yeah, you're, pro- you're probably hate right. watching it. You know, yeah, yeah, you're probably um, right. Probably right. But look, she 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 messed up one small detail in a film that has so many small details and throwbacks to a time when, you know, she herself was 20. She was 20 years of age back in 2006. So she's throwing her mind back as best she can. Um, Just to to touch on two two things that you've mentioned there, one about the party and the 100-200. That fella doesn't have two friends. Yeah, I know. And they know this. Yeah, that yeah. party, like you said, this is just something they do. They're looking for an excuse to have a party. They're looking for an excuse to show off their house, to show off what they have, because that's who the parents are. Um, and the other thing was, you, you mentioned the relationship between um, Barry Keoghan's character and Felix. And you asked me you know, what, what I thought of his sort of lust to be his friend and i don't know why trev because it's a totally different character but you know it it brought me back to watching barry keoghan in banshees and his attempts to ingratiate himself with colin farrell's character and more to the point the sister 
Yeah. And there's there's certain quirks that he uses in the way he portrays the character. And I thought this was early on. Obviously, the character in Banshees is, is a simple young boy. This is clearly not a simple boy. This is a very, very intelligent kid. But he's he he portrays himself and again potentially to hide like you said the the psychopathic tendencies that lie underneath maybe to hide that i was watching him early on particularly when he has the sit down meeting with the professor um <laughs> yeah played by reese shearsmith professor ware and i was thinking is he is he maybe on the spectrum is that maybe where he's playing this is that where this this character is like almost like a savant because the guy says to him, um, you got your reading list. Oh, I read all of it. You read all of it? Yeah. I haven't even read all of it. It's a suggestion. Yeah. Oh, you just spent your entire summer reading? Yeah. And I thought maybe maybe that's what we have here. Maybe this is a savant-like character. And that scene, I, I love that scene because that's where we also properly get to meet Farley and we find out that this professor has quite the infatuation with Farley's mother or had quite the infatuation with Farley's mother when she was a student there and the professor was a student there. And Farley bites on that and immediately you can see that devious mind going, I have an in here with this professor he's going to be my friend and he starts to open up and they're having this lovely bubbly chat and he's very much kissing up to this professor like i'm your new star pupil but the the real star pupil the guy that's there because he's a genius is left sat to the side kind of hunched over out of the out of the equation he's out of the circle and we start to see this a couple of times particularly when he goes to the pub when when he goes to the dining room He's not in the conversation. He's not in the cool group. He's left to the side again. Yeah. And we get more and more of those moments through the film. And then all of a sudden he gets his in with Felix and and we're off to the races. But um, yeah, just the, the, the want of Oliver Quick to be friends with Felix just made me think of his character in Banshees and the, the want to be friends with the older um, wiser, though simple himself, Colin <laughs> Yeah, yeah, wise in inverted columns. You know, it's 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 interesting. That scene really triggered is the wrong word, but it really, really brought me back to my uh, university days and my first tutorial in the aforementioned TCD in the English department. I happened to be unfortunate enough to have a similarly jaded academic as portrayed by Reese Shearsmith, except. My one was far more uh, snobby and I guess less less uh, less jaded in some ways, uh, but just as just as obnoxious, uh, if not more so. Uh, And I remember being on the receiving end of, you know, we were having the little it was it was a little apparently cozy chat uh, between the three students and, and himself. And it was like, well, what have you read? And. Oh, you know, the first girl saying, oh, my, my mother had a wonderful library. And, and the next one was, my auntie had a lovely library. And I used to read Dickens and Under the Tree. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, I knew I was interested in reading. I, I knew I, I read everything I could pick up. But I didn't have the classical background. You had a library card. <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate. Right. And it came to me and I just had happened to read a couple of Western novels over the summer. And he said, oh, what have you? I saw I read a couple of books there by Louis L'Amour. And it's kind of pulpy Western fiction. And you would want to see his eyebrow raised so far off his head it nearly went through the roof. And the sneering was real. And I just thought, yeah, OK, I get where I am now. I understand this. Mm. And and the aspects of that, the portrayal of the snobbishness of that um, elitist university environment, I thought was really good. And I wonder, like, does Fennel have a, a little bit of a, a a bone to pick there as well? Because it struck me as something that was... The, the, well, she the, went to Trinity herself. Right. She went, well, she went to, sorry, to Oxford herself. So, so I so wonder... Potentially some, some hold over there. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And and you're right, that scene where it's him and Farley, I think, again, Fennel is setting up this lovely long con where we see Farley as this incredibly, in his own way, charisma, charismatic and manipulative character mm. who seems to have left Ollie in the halfpenny place. Oh, man, that's so wrong, as we find out in the end. But it's it's it really does seem as if Farley's almost untouchable. Uh, Ollie tries a few times to break him down a little bit, and he just doesn't seem like he can get there. But like I say, Long Con, uh, mm. uh, set up by uh, by uh, our woman uh, Emerald. Let's talk about the controversial moments because people will be have the home put us if we don't. I don't mean let's get into them in detail, but the things that have stuck out in the film are you know all related to things that people have considered taboo and i won't lie to you dave some of the reviews that i read were so glorifying in these things that they were just delighted um with the i i don't know what it was the the kink of them all that i found that a little bit jarring they were too happy with it i think the the common reaction for most people i don't know if you saw it, there was a few wonderful things going around on instagram and other things where it showed old irish mammies watching the bath scene and stuff like that <laughs> getting up and going oh the dirty bastard (laughs) and so I thought thought, yeah that's a fair reaction and like there is the scene okay so we've got the bath scene where uh, he seems to be having a little bit of a slurp of whatever was going on there uh, where Felix was um, enjoying himself previously in the bath and then there's the I think very very graphic to the point of pure shock value scene where there's the oral sex scene with mm. uh, with Venetia, uh, and then of course we have the coup de gras at the end, where it's Barry and little Barry taking a wander around his newfound home, uh, his new uh, um, uh, sprawling manor, which he happens to have managed to to acquire for himself, as it turns out was his plan all along. These scenes were what I had heard about in advance and I was fully expecting them to be jarring to the point that I did not really enjoy it and I wondered was it going to be shock value for the sake of shock value and I'm coming down on the side of yeah they are absolutely intended to shock that's what the point of it was but I'm not finding myself in the camp that's saying, oh, it was too much. I didn't need to see that or that was uh, unnecessary or courting controversy for the sake of it. If you think about it, I think it feeds beautifully into the pathology of Oliver Quick, a man who will literally do whatever he needs to do in a given moment to uh, placate or in, as you said earlier on endear or whatever it is he's trying to do there's there's always a game with Ollie mm. and I think that's that gets that gets to a lot of it but the, the, the bath scene there's no angle there except his own mental machinations yeah. and that that is that does hint at someone it goes beyond kink shame and Dave it's just disturbing right yeah yeah without question Without question, it's disturbing. As is the uh, the oral sex scene, um, which which I knew about in advance because I'd seen Simon Brundish mention them on Twitter. Oh, okay. Because uh, he was asking, I think, something about the the rating, the you know, the, the age rating on the film and and what it was, you know, what kind of constituted, um, you know, what what were the the sort of the boundaries you could push to, and what would you go beyond to get you know, an 18 or an over rating or whatever. And um, so I knew they were they were coming, but uh, to, 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 not to make a pun, but you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, they, they are for shock value. They are for shock value. And they, but they work. Like they, they work as part of the storyline because with Ollie and his infatuation with Felix, as we find with the story, it, it grows beyond just wanting to be his friend. He wants to be more than that. And perhaps he thinks maybe that's because Felix is quite, quite a sexual character as well. He's quite, you know, throws it around here and there. And maybe he thinks, well, maybe that's my way in at first. Maybe he could be 
Felix's bit on the side or whatever, you know, his hidden secret presents himself as that possibility. With with the sister, from the minute he's introduced to the sister, he's warned about the sister and her activities, shall we say, her escapades. So again, it feeds into that. But they are for shock value. They are. And are they a little bit too far? Maybe they are. I mean, again, it's I wouldn't criticize anybody for being put off by those. I'm not going to criticize anybody that celebrated them, although I think celebrating them is, again, going a little bit too far. For me, it's it's entertainment, so I'm not going to get myself too ruffled in either direction. Agreed. And clearly the biggest one of all, uh, if you again will pardon the pun, is the scene featuring Barry's chopper. <laughs> and there is, there is there, it's, it's the end of the film and it goes on and fucking on. It's murder on the dance floor. Yes. The, the Sophie Ellis Baxter song of the time. And he's parading um, with his back to us throughout his newfound realm of Saltburn. And when uh, I was reading about it, Fennel herself said, it, uh, I'll quote it here, it was always going to be a walk, the exact inverse of Felix's tour earlier in the film, but a naked walk. Then about halfway through filming, I felt it just wouldn't have the evil glee. It had to be an act of desecration, an act of territory taking, its ownership. And she says in quotes, this is fucking mine. I do whatever I want. So when you put it that way, I totally get it. The criticism I've seen leveled at that scene. And again, you know, it, I loved the insecure comments coming from some people. I loved the slightly awkward comments coming from other people about Jesus. Uh, you know, that was a, that was quite a lot uh, to deal with in terms of the, the, the full frontal nudity and all the rest of it. Well, side nudity, I guess. But it's a it's another taboo right you know women yeah. have been purely naked on film full frontal on every sort of angle as long as film's been made uh, and put out there and you know i understand a female director like fennel saying well here, here we go here's yeah. barry and here's little barry and there's they're doing a victory dance and just you can do what you like with it my only take on it dave was I thought it was overly long. Not again, pardon the pun. Not the uh, not that it wasn't effective, but I just thought, all right, this is going on a bit now. Uh, I thought it would have been a lot better if it had been punchier. And I'm going to come back to that criticism again. Uh, there's another criticism I have of the film, and it comes towards the end. But just in terms of that, the final sequence, I mean, again, clearly shock value. It's bloody unique, I'll give it that. This is the one thing that did actually shock me in the film. And not in a bad way, it was just like, oh, they've done that. Because when Felix is buried and Barry Keoghan decides that what he needs to do, what Oliver Quick decides that what he needs to do right at this moment is he needs to have sex with the grave, we don't see his, his bit we don't see it. He, he and, and there's a couple of other moments in the film where there's male nudity, but there's no, you don't get that shot. So at the start of the scene, when he is naked, and for the first two, three seconds, the, the camera angle is changing to avoid showing it. So I was thinking, okay, that, that's it. He's just going to walk around the house naked. I, I didn't, it didn't even click into my head that it was in you know, the, the reverse of the, the tour that Felix gave him earlier. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's, you know, he's parading around his house naked, which is something that everybody has done at some point in their life. Yes. And then <laughs> the good soldier appears. But, like, it's it's just a cock. Like, half the world has one. <laughs> Pretty much everybody has seen one at some point. <laughs> so what are you getting so upset about? Like, uh, if it was a girl and she paraded around the house with her top off, Nobody would say anything. They like, nobody would bat an eyelid about it. There might be one pure, one or two puritanical people that'd have a big cry, but like it's just a cock. Like there's, there's nothing to be afraid of. He, he he's not putting it. He's not going to come and touch you with it if you don't want him to. <laughs> Do you know, like don't get so upset about it. It's absolutely I fine. I know. I know. 
<laughs> if, if only we could uh, use it, that would absolutely be the title of this uh, particular episode. It's just a cock. But no, we, we, we probably won't get away. Eddie will be watching that. There's no way we're getting away with that. Uh, but I, I do, I do want to just, because again, I'm very conscious of keeping these things like we said we would uh, to a shorter time. I want to come in under an hour. So I have one last thing I want to throw out and then you can throw out whatever you want at the end. I feel bad. I haven't had a chance to talk about Richard E. Grant. I thought he was very good and I love yeah. the bits. I'd love to have talked about with Nil for about a half an hour. Uh, I do think to be fair, uh, we should give credit where it's due in terms of uh, the Rosamund Pike performance. I thought she's absolutely wonderful. And she gets the best line of the whole thing where uh, she's talking about her pal uh, dying and she says, you know, she'd do anything for attention kind of thing. And she's just, she's beautifully, beautifully cast. Uh, and she, I think, has a ball with that part. But I have a criticism. And it is the thing that, left me least satisfied with the film and the thing that I think actually took away from the film is Fennell's decision at the end to do the sort of end of um, oh, the usual suspects where you you get walked through oh that's what that was oh that's what that was oh I see what happened there because I don't know about you man but at that stage I was bloody quite clear on the fact that Oliver was up to no good that Oliver was the one who was behind yeah. the machinations that led to, the, I'm trying to be vague here, that led to the final um, triumphant moment that he has. It was clear to me from lines in the film, from the way that he spoke on occasion uh, with such menace to certain characters, the mm. way he was capable of ordering um Venetia, uh, when it came to her, her uh, eating disorder. Pushing he, the food across. Pushing the, the food out. at her. He was, this is what was one going on earlier on with the psychopathic tendencies. He has that. He had all those things in play. So to me, it didn't require the, oh, and then he did this, and that's what that happened. And then he, this is how he did away with this one. This is how he did away with that one. I've, I felt a little bit like there was no need for that and, and the film would have been i think stronger without it do you know what i mean by that i do because there was there was enough implication in like you said in things that were said in simple scenes where it was like a look or you know the the scene for me that that i knew that this is what had happened was when he's in the office of Sir James, Richard E. Grant's character, and Richard E. Well, Richard e. Grant is basically begging him to leave. I don't think I can leave. I don't think I should leave her. And he looks at him and he says, you won't leave. And at that point, it became crystal clear. Because for me, anyway, prior to that, I was like, okay, well, he's the last person there for that. And he's the last person there for that. So... You know, two plus two, you can make it real simple. You could be wrong, but you can take a guess that that's what had happened. But when he has that scene, because obviously he Rosamund Pike's character had basically begged him to stay earlier. But when he has that scene where he basically is refusing to leave and the guy has to get the checkbook out, like, OK, that's your motivation now. So yeah. it was you. This is what you've done you've seen an opportunity. And I thought, okay, he's seen an opportunity to get money out of them. I wasn't even thinking to get the house. I was thinking to get, you know, to get a big chunk of money here. Like now I've got a big ball of money. I can go and get my own one of these and live my own life doing this. And now I'm, I'm higher in society or, you know, if he was going back to Oxford, he'd be able to throw money around, whatever. That's what I thought the long game was, but obviously it, it becomes far graver. But yeah, I, I didn't think it was needed. I thought it was it was an interesting like it was interesting just to see but but it was more sinister almost just the implication that he had done it. Just the you know, the suggestion that he had done this rather than yeah, well he did. You know, he, again it was it was almost like, you know, the, this part is for those of you who might not have been able to keep up with the film. So yeah, I do agree with you. I think that was I think that was a mistake on her part. My last point, and I'll let you finish then with yours, was 
it's an odd kind of a thing to take away, and it's a little bit maybe of a of a of a serious note to end on. But it, I thought it was a weird thing that I noticed. Is it a dark kind of film overall? Because all the relationships seem to be incredibly transactional. Do you know what I mean by that? There's, mm. there is, is, is there a, is there a genuine relationship in it? Because no. we know Ollie's are all transactional, but Felix seems to be the only reason he's really fond of Oliver's his own neediness, his need to be worshipped and adored. Um, even like the parents relationship you get the feeling don't you that Elspeth is is ripe for any sort of affair and that she tolerates her man because he's the money or it just seems that everything is transactional they have the friend around and they tolerate her but now she's starting to wear them down she's overstaying her welcome Jesus Farley is the most transactional human in history apart from Oliver perhaps it's a bleak representation I think of human relationships for sure yeah, but I, I, I represent representationship of of that type of family because when we first meet the family, they're talking about Oliver. They're having that conversation. He walks into the room. The conversation changes. Someone leaves the room. Now they're talking about that person behind their back. They only talk about people behind their back to everybody's face. They're all nice as pie. Yeah, <clears throat> it is an entirely. Um, transactional relationship among every single one of them if you look at felix felix doesn't really doesn't really seem to like his family all that much doesn't have much time for his mother doesn't have much time for his father tolerates them because they fund his lifestyle and he he wants to be more of he wants to be popular he wants to be more the common man he wants to be seen as more normal almost like he's fighting against the privilege that he's been brought up with i think he is a really nice guy but the 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 nurture side of him has made him also a you know a bit of a snob, and I think he sees Oliver almost like kind of you know charity work because yeah. when he finds out Oliver is not destitute, when he finds out his father hasn't passed away, he's not as interested in him anymore. He doesn't really want to be his friend anymore because he doesn't then get the benefit of. You know, oh, isn't Felix a great guy? Look at him taking that poor chap and lifting him up. Again, it's a transactional relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one other criticism I have is like, you and Mitchell um, plays Michael, who is Oliver's first friend, because neither of them have any friends, and you know, odd parts tend to drift together. And I, I think that could have been a great character. I think there was more more runway for that character because we saw <clears throat> when they're sitting together and he said, ask me a maths question. Oh, no, no, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, 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 and, yeah. And, and the explosion of temper. Yeah. And then he pops up again, obviously, a couple of times. But I did think that was a character who maybe there was more that could have been done with, but that that would be about the only one. I think all the characters in the film were really, really good. I think every one of them brought something to to the story. Um, I thought, again, we had a very strong cast who all delivered really strong performances. And I agree with you. I think I thought Rosamund Pike, she might even have been the best performance in it. As, as great as Barry Keoghan is, she might even have been the best, a better performance. Um, it is. It's 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 a it's a it's a very good film. Whether it ages all that well, I I don't know. I don't think it's the type of film that you'd go back and rewatch in five years. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it will. Um, but like I say, I mean, for me, I I always sort of a film to me is 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 enjoyment. It's entertainment. You know, can you entertain me for as long as I have you on the screen? I don't really want to think too deeply about the social connotations of what you're doing. I don't really want to get upset about some fella dancing around with his cock out because it, again, it doesn't really like, it's not going to affect me 10 seconds later. He's not dancing around my house with his cock out. If he was, I'd probably just ask him to leave. Like, it's a bit cold out, so you give him a blanket first. Obviously. Give him a coat. Give him a coat. <laughs> give him a coat and a pair of long jobs. But you know what I mean? Like, 
that some people just get they get so upset about these things. And I'm like, yeah. he's not in your house. It's fine. Like it's not affecting your life in any way, shape, or form. You don't need to be so upset about these things. I wish, people, I wish people wouldn't be upset by 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 films and cultural events. You know, as as a rule, I mean, I can hear from from you there that you're going to pretty much say the same as me. Watch the bloody film. Yeah. Don't, don't be in dread of it. Uh, you may well look away once or twice. You may not. You may find yourself incredibly aroused, turned on, or whatever it happens to be. There's room for all of us on yeah, the spectrum. Exactly. And you know, it is not in any way a great film but it is good enough to hold your attention and entertain you that's what we uh that's where i land with it and as we wrap up i'll get your final take on where you land with it and we will say that people should be keeping their ears open for episode two of true detective and our next film because we're going to do two again next week because we're really going for this yeah for sure that is the plan to take um, kind of major TV shows and do them episode by episode. And there's actually another one starting this month that we should talk about off air. And it might be worth throwing our oar in on as well. But we want to do that. We want to, we want to also, you know, do what, whatever film's coming out. And look, again, you don't have to take our opinion on it. You, you can, you'll hundred percent form your own opinion. This isn't a film you have to see. It's not a masterclass. It's not something that, you know, it shouldn't be framed and hung in the Louvre or anything like that. But it, it's a film that is worth seeing. Like, it is worth your time. It's not something you have to see, but it's something you should see. Because, it, it again, it, it's a good film. It's a good film with good actors playing good characters, telling a good story. And you'll either like it or you won't like it. But at the end of the day, once it, you turn it off, it's not going to affect you either way. Don't be worried. Go and get a frame and get a picture of Barry's chopper and put it up in your own little Louvre. <laughs> Enjoy it, lads. Don't be don't be scared. Don't be scared. It's only a cock. <laughs> so we'll finish uh, on that very deep and profound note for this particular episode. We've gone a bit longer than we thought, but then it is us too. And we're going to try and be disciplined. We're going to try and keep these under the hour, primarily for the sake of our uh, respective relationships uh, and sleep patterns. But we will be back with you next week for two more because True Detective's coming out again. And we may, Dave, shake it up and go for a more classic movie in 90s. Yes, yeah. something that we've seen recently. It, it doesn't necessarily always going to be a contemporary thing because who has time in their life uh, to be on top of everything? So we'll see what suits us. It'll be something that you'll have seen or you can chat about or will be of relevance to you. You can be sure of that. So we'll be back, Dave and I, for Buzz very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.